For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. God, to have a moment in your sacred presence where all that we are are fully aware of and engaged in all that you are, God, that is better than to spend a lifetime on the petty pleasures of this world. And Lord, we join with the psalmist today declaring that we would rather be a doorkeeper. God, we would rather dust the floor in front of your sacred house than to dwell in the mansion of sinners. For you are a son. You bring lights, you guide us, warmth, and you are a shield. You protect us. And Father, we pray for your protection right now, that you would keep the enemy far from this place, so that your sacred people who have assembled in your name to encounter the living God would have unhindered worship in this place. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. God, blessings abound for the one who trusts and hopes in you. And God, we pray for the grace to have hearts that trust in you fully today, no matter what season we are in, no matter what periods of pain and trials and suffering we are in, teach us to trust you and to be ready to receive the blessing that comes from those who hope in you. And God, I am banking on you to be faithful and good and true, to speak through your sacred word right now, that though I am fallen and a sinner, you are a forgiving God who redeems and is merciful and gracious. So I pray for your strength to be in me and your power to flow through me so that your word would bring honor to all who hear it and the one who proclaims it so all of us today would fall deeper in love with Jesus because we have encountered the living God. So Father, use your Son now to bring you glory. This is your time. Let me be an arrow that points people back to you. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be pleasing in your sight. Oh Lord, our rock, our redeemer, our savior, our king. And in Jesus' name we pray. You know, Nelson Mandela passed away uh, just a few days ago, as most of you are aware, and he was a man who fought for racial equality and freedom in South Africa. He was a revolutionary, a hero by many people around the world. He also spent 27 years in jail for fighting for justice and for what was right. But the thing is, a lot of people will ask him in interviews, don't you feel like it was such a waste because you spent the prime of your life, the best years of your life, in jail, 27 years. And the fascinating thing that most people who know about him 
and who know his journey uh, for justice, for freedom, for rights, and his time in prison will always be fascinated because though almost three decades of his life were stolen from him by injustice, he never got bitter and he was never upset. And that fascinated people. And so in all the interviews, they would always ask, we do not understand why. And he would always talk about how he understood that there was a greater purpose behind everything that he went through, that there was a greater purpose for every pain, and there was a greater purpose even for his season in prison. And so he trusted in a God who is still sovereign and supreme. Fascinating. 27 years of waiting, of wondering, of hoping. And it is fascinating that in those years of injustice, of imprisonment, of suffering, he came out a better man because he had faith in a greater God. You know, there is nothing like pain and suffering to make us realize that we are not in control of our lives and that we never were. You see, oftentimes when things go smooth and things kind of go the way that we plan, we think we're in control because everything is going according to plan. But there is nothing like suffering to shatter our false notion of us being able to control our lives. Tim Keller in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, says this, things put into the furnace properly can be shaped, refined, purified, and even beautified. This is a remarkable view of suffering, that if faced and endured with faith, It can, in the end, only make us better, stronger, and more filled with greatness and joy. Suffering, then, actually can use evil against itself. It can thwart the destructive purposes of evil and bring light and life out of darkness and death. So we need faith in order to go through the fire of affliction to benefit from our suffering. I think we're all in agreement upon that. But how do we maintain faith when the season of suffering is going longer than anticipated? You see, we all understand in our head that, yes, I need faith if I'm really going to benefit from my suffering. But how do we keep it when the suffering is prolonged in our seasons of life? And that's the question that is crucial for us to answer if we are going to finish our race of faith faithfully and faith-filled until the very end. And so we want to address this very important question today. So turn with me to James chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 7 to 11 as we continue our study through the book of James. And today we will learn how we can maintain our faith 
when you go through the fire of affliction. And Lord willing, we'll be finishing up our James series next week, uh, right in time for Christmas. So follow along with me in your outline as well. So how do we maintain faith uh, when we are in the fires of affliction? There's a few things that I want to guide us through uh, this journey. First of all, how do we maintain our faith in the midst of this trial? The first thing we must do is trust in the Lord to return. So everyone repeat, trust in the Lord to return. So faith in our Savior who promised to return for His people is a vital component of maintaining faith in the fires of trials. James chapter 5, verse 7 and uh, following, this is the word of the Lord. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the, earthly, the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. Strengthen your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, what's very interesting is within these two short verses, he is stressing, be patient, and the reason for that is that Jesus is returning. And so, we'll unpack the connection in a moment. But he is encouraging them to trust in the Lord and wait for His return. He is encouraging them to be patient in the midst of the pain. Be patient because things will change. And things will change for the better for those who believe. Look at verse 7, and this is the example that he gives. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. So he is comparing our trial period to a farmer's waiting period. You see, farmers must go through a season of waiting before the harvest comes. Uh, and our seasons of suffering are often a waiting period for our faith. You see, we all go through testing periods between hardship and harvest. There is a waiting period. That we all go through a season of suffering and then we wait and we see the end result of it later on. We all go through a faith-building period between barrenness and blessing, and in between is a waiting period. But this waiting time is not wasting time when you are waiting on the Lord. Because though you can't see what is happening, God is at work preparing the fruit and the harvest to come forth. Amen? And this is an important thing that you must understand as a people of faith. When God calls you into a season of waiting for His promise, for His deliverance, for His salvation, for Him to show Himself strong, when God calls you into a waiting season, that is never a wasting season. Waiting is not wasting when we are trusting in the Lord. God is at work 
There's something happening that we cannot see in our hearts, in the circumstances, in the person or people or community that you are praying together for or with. God is at work, though you cannot see. And faith is evidence of things not seen. And where there is faith, God is actively at work for your favor. Amen? Kind of like in a pregnancy. I know the ladies out there, Eddie, what do you do not know anything about pregnancy? Okay, but just hear me out, all right? It's like a pregnancy. On the outside, right, it seems like not much is happening. Right? You see these moms on Facebook and stuff, they take pictures like every week or every month of the bump getting a little bit bigger, like boom, 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 right? And then it seems like nothing has happened. I know, I'm sorry, ladies who've gone through pregnancy, I know there's a lot of stuff going on inside, but you know, just... For the sake of this illustration, hold on, okay? And so all of a sudden, it seems like nothing's happening, and then all of a sudden, you feel a kick or a bump, and then you put the hand on the stomach, and see, something's going. Did you feel it? Did you feel that? And so on the outside, it seems like not much is going on, except the stomach is getting bigger, and there's a kick getting harder. But what is really happening on the inside, cells are multiplying by the millions, organs are being formed, eyes are being formed, the nervous system, the respiratory system, a new life is being created. Though we cannot see it with our physical eyes, it is a waiting period, but God is actively at work. Amen? And in the same way, As you wait for God to come through, hold on to the seed of God's word, the seed of God's promise for you, and in due season, God will transform that seed into new life. As we wait patiently, we know that God is at work. Amen? And so he says, wait patiently and remember that the Lord will return. Look at verse 7 and 8 again. So be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. Verse 8, you also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. He's saying, in the midst of your suffering and pain, be patient because the Lord will return soon. And the Bible ends its final chapter by repeating this promise over and over again. Revelation 22, 7, and behold, I am coming soon, Jesus declares, blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Revelation 22, 12, behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Revelation twenty two twenty. he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. It is good news that Jesus is returning because when he returns, he will right all wrongs again. He will bring judgment upon the evildoer, and he will bring justice to the oppressed. And so James is encouraging the suffering with this promise of Christ's return. Because for the believer, seeing Jesus is good news. You know, when I was like in third grade or something, my, uh, all of a sudden, my dad started coming home from work with a new toy. We found out that he would uh, stop by this like, small toy store that was next to his work, and so he would come, and you see, prior to that, my sister and I, we would, whenever we heard the car, you know, drive up, 
into our home, we'd get excited and we'd wait at the door and then he opens the door and we're all, you know, happy that he's home and we jump on top of him and, you know, we're all happy that daddy's home. That's how we were for most of our uh, childhood upbringing. And then one day, he starts bringing us a toy. And so not only are we happy that dad's there, we're so excited to see what new toy that he brought us. And then all of a sudden, one time, you know, so he's bringing us a toy like three or four days in a row. We're all excited. And then one, you know, that fifth day, he didn't bring us anything. And so we're like, daddy's home. What did you bring us? Oh, I didn't bring anything. Oh. And so we all just walk away. We don't jump on him. So he's like, hey, what the heck? You know, it's like, what's going on, you know? And so that's when my dad and my mom decided, you know, let's not have our dad bring toys anymore. Why? Because what was happening is suddenly we were getting more excited about gifts that we could get instead of the giver of the gift. But you need to understand that for a child, we don't need the toy, we need our dad. And so in their wisdom, they set aside the thing that would distract our heart's affection from loving what truly matters. And you see, God does that to us sometimes as well. You see, sometimes God will see that our heart's affection is now starting to be redirected or distracted towards something or someone else that may not be in the best interest of our heart. And so what will God do? Sometimes that God will remove that person or remove that situation in order to make sure nothing will distract our heart's devotion from the one we truly need. And in the midst of the pain of separation, in the midst of the pain of loss, to learn to attach our heart's affection back upon the one we were created for. And what James is doing is he is reminding them just as we saw last week, that yes, there is injustice. Yes, there are uh, bosses in your life that are jerks, that don't pay you as you should, but he's reminding them, as you suffer these injustices, keep your hope and your heart's affection on the one you were truly made for and made to love. And that is not in the people of this world, not in the possessions of this world, but hope in the God who loves you, who saved you, and is coming back for you in order to bring you home. That is where your heart is meant to be longing towards. Amen. You were made for Christ to know him, to be known by him, to love him, and to bask in his love. And God will do whatever it takes to make sure that your heart's passions and affections are directed to the one it was made for. He is holding out before them the greatest hope and the greatest gift they could ever receive, the gift of Jesus. You see, Jesus is the gift of salvation. Salvation is not just avoiding hell. It's not just getting into heaven. Jesus is the gift. Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is what makes heaven heaven. He is our salvation. If there is a heaven as we think of it and Jesus is not there, that is no longer heaven. Jesus is what makes heaven 
heaven. She is the source of joy. She is the source of completeness and peace and forgiveness and restoration and wholeness. Jesus is heaven. So when he says that the coming of the Lord is at hand, it means salvation is also almost here. And at the return of Jesus, that is resounding good news for all who hope in him. And Jesus himself even says in John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Because Jesus also knows that that is part of the good news of his gospel message. That he yet saved us, yes, but he will come back for us and not leave us as orphans. You see, all children go through separation anxiety when they are separated from their parents, especially for the first time. You see it in the tears as the school bus drives away, and not just in the tears of the kid, oftentimes the parents on the street as well. Why is there anxiety? Because we were made to be with our families. We were made to be in a place where we are loved without condition. And that's why it breaks the heart of God that there are so many orphans in this world because they are forever, every day, for years, if not decades, living with separation anxiety because they have not received the loving embrace of a father or a mother. And in our hearts as well, we were made to be with the Father in heaven forever. And there is a spiritual separation anxiety that we'll all go through until we rest in the arms of our Father in heaven. So in the midst of our suffering and affliction, we maintain our faith as we trust in the Lord to return. That is good news for the people of God. Amen? Another way that we maintain faith through the fire of affliction is to trust in the Lord to refine. So everyone repeat, trust in the Lord to refine. So as you suffer, how, do your, how does your faith be sustained in that suffering? You trust in the Lord that through this pain, He is going to refine me. There is a greater purpose that will happen. Let's look at verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 9 of James. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And so he is warning them not to grumble, especially against fellow family members of the faith, against brothers and sisters. He says, so that you may not be judged, so that there is a certain type of judgment that will come upon the people of God for grumbling against the people of God. And so he's giving this warning here. But when do we usually grumble? We often will grumble when we are suffering, when we're mistreated, when things don't go our way. And so he says, don't grumble against one another. Don't grumble, complain, criticize against fem, uh, fellow family members. Why is this so important not to grumble? Because grumbling is a sign of unbelief in a good and sovereign God. So don't allow unbelief. And what is it ultimately? You are doubting God's goodness, his character, and his sovereignty, his control. Grumbling is always an insult to God's character. You're not good. And His sovereignty. You're not in control. 
And he's saying, don't allow your season of difficulty to turn into bitterness and complaining. Why? Because each time you grumble, your faith will crumble. Grumbling has a way of chipping away at your faith in God. How does the enemy use our grumbling and complaining? See, God doesn't really, he's not good, chips away at that faith. If he's really good, okay, then maybe he's not really in control. He's not really sovereign. He chips away at our faith and our trust in a sovereign and good God. So another way to put it is that grumbling is poison for our faith. So he's saying, be careful of drinking that poison. Every time you grumble, your faith will crumble. You see, grumbling and complaining is saying, God, you put me in a bad situation. I don't like what you're doing. I don't trust your choices. But instead, we need to trust in the Lord, believing that this too serves a divine purpose. And one purpose that all suffering can serve for us through faith is to refine us for those who trust in Him. There's a story of a lady's Bible study that met weekly, and while they were reading through Malachi, they came across the passage that said, and the Lord shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And then one of the ladies decided that to visit a local silversmith and to report back to her lady's Bible study what she learned from the silversmith. And so she went there and asked, oh, can I, I just really am curious how the refining process of silver really happens. And so he started explaining and he started saying that, you know, I actually have to sit here and when I put the silver in the fire, I actually have to sit here and keep my eye on it because if it stays in too long, it will ruin the silver. And so she was so blessed. She's like, that's just like the Bible passage. You know, that's just like what the scripture that they studied, that he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, keeping watch on us. And so he was, she was so blessed that, that the, at the parallel of this illustration. And so uh, then she also realized that, yeah, Christ really does care about us. I mean, he's that careful because he even knows the number of hair on our heads. And so how much more would he care about the time that we spend in the refiner's fire? And so she was all so excited and, uh, to go back to her uh, Bible study and share her learnings. And right before she left, the, the silversmith said, oh, actually, there's one more thing that I need to tell you about how I know that the process of refining is finished. And so she was all ears, so tell me. And he said, the way that I know that this time in the fire is complete is when I can see my reflection in the silver. So once again, she was deeply blessed. And this is the heart of God, that not only is he there sitting as a refiner, watching us through our seasons of intense suffering, there is a refining and a greater purpose behind it so that he watches intently over every pain, over every moment of your life, knowing how much you are able to handle, knowing how long you have been in this furnace, and he does not finish that process until he sees a reflection of Christ in you. But as I was reflecting upon this illustration, I mean, I was so blessed too, but I was like, something's not right. Because what we also learn about our God 
is that when we are in the fire, the furnace of affliction, our God is not one who stands on the outside watching us go through it. What we learn through Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is that when they were in the fiery furnace, our God was in there with them. He is not a distant God who watches from afar, though all-wise and all-loving. He is not distant watching us through our pain. He is God, Emmanuel, God with us in our pain, in our suffering, and that is why he took the cross, so that we would share in understanding pain and suffering. That is the kind of God that we serve. And in this season of Advent, in preparation of the coming birth of the Messiah, this is the God we celebrate. God Emmanuel. He is God with us. And that is good news for the suffering Christian. Amen. Therefore, Psalm 37, 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Keep on keeping on with your eyes fixed upon the Lord. You trust him in your trial. Trust in the Lord and bring him glory. James chapter 5, verse 10, as an example of suffering and patient brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Why does he say this? Why do you say, look at the prophets who in their suffering spoke in the name of the Lord? That instead of using our speech for sin by grumbling and complaining, use your speech in the midst of injustice and suffering to declare truth, justice, and righteousness. That's what the prophets did. They declared truth, they rebuked injustice, and they suffered a lot along the way. And this shows us that many who do good, many who do the will of God, also suffer. But their hope was in God. Their happiness was in God. Verse 10, again, it says, as an example of suffering and what? As an example of suffering and Patience. Everyone say patience. Patience is always a nice thing to talk about until you have to live it out. Right? When do we need patience? When you're driving in Korea, <laughs> when you're on the subway in Korea, when you're in the line at the store in Korea when you're in Korea. <laughs> when do we need patience? When things are taking longer than expected. That's when you need patience. If you're expecting to wait in line for an hour and then all of a sudden you get in 15 minutes, ding, hey, that's awesome. But when you expect to f get out of the line in 15 minutes and then it takes an hour, 
Or if you're waiting to hear from vice president of a certain country and then he doesn't show up till an hour later, no, I'm not complaining or anything, but um, you need patience. Come on, what took so long? We ordered the food like 10 minutes ago. This is Korea. This is the land of Bali Bali, right? Not the land of morning calm. Are you kidding me, right? Korea is not the land of morning calm. It is the land of morning busyness, right? Anyway, okay, that's all right. But we need patience when things take longer than expected. For some of you, your season of singleness is taking longer than you expected. And so you feel you are in suffering mode. But this isn't right. Grumbling, complaining. Everybody's in a new season of life on Facebook except me. <laughs> you don't know how many times I've heard that. Everybody's getting married or having a baby except me. You should make a Facebook club for that. You'll see how many millions of people are in the same club as you. For others, your season of barrenness is taking longer than expected. Your seasons for healing of sickness. Waiting is hard. But God is doing something. You know, I met with a father and a mother, uh, Korean parents, this past week, whose daughter was sex trafficked into the United States five years ago. Uh, there have been spottings of their daughter in different parts of California, and so they realize that she's being trafficked back and forth in California. Um, for five years, they've been looking for her. For five years, they were looking for someone to talk to about this issue. For five years in this country, of over 50 million people, there was no one who would believe them, no one who understood them, no one who wanted to help them. And so just this past Tuesday, um, someone who came across their story and who knew about what we were doing connected us together. And as they were telling me their story for the past five plus years, and as I started asking questions and asking how did she get here, how did she get connected to that, and I'm putting one and one together, I'm putting all the pieces together because we've been studying this trafficking issue for quite a number of years now. They were saying, thank you for finally getting it. Because when we would put up the scenario that there is a wide range of networking going on, everybody would laugh in our face saying, you're delirious, you're making this stuff up. You're crazy. You're watching too many Hollywood movies. And so I was blown away that for five years, they had nobody who could understand them. Five years of abuse and torture, cultic activity of ritualistic, sadistic things happening to their daughter. They can't get a visa to live there. They need to make money so they still work here. Every chance that they get, they will fly to the U.S. to the last spotting of her. And that could have been like six months ago. And they'll just look. Can you imagine? 
What do you say to somebody like that? They're going to leave this Thursday to the U.S. again, to the last city that they think that she might have been seen in, just to look. And when they were telling me the story for almost two, two and a half hours, I felt like I was in a Hollywood movie. This was just unreal, the things that they were telling me. Then I asked them, how in the world did you make it through these five years? The mother is paralyzed. Half of her face is paralyzed because of the stress. She has a younger daughter, only like 12 years old now. Again, five years after. She has white hair because of the stress their family endured. So how in the world did you endure through this for the past five years? And the father looked at me and said, I have no idea why this happened, but I know that there is a God in heaven who is real, and my faith is in his son, and if not for my faith in God, who I believe is good and is in control, I think we would have died or killed ourselves by now. And then after the end of the two, two and a half hour of him just telling me the whole story, he ended with this question to me. So he's talking about how he's been trying to find somebody who will understand his story. Da, da, da. He ends by looking at me, saying, will you help me? And I had to say, of course. If this was your daughter, your sister, your granddaughter, I would also fight through hell and high water to do whatever we could to find your daughter. And if this was my daughter, I would hope that you would say the same thing. Because this isn't a matter of justice. Isn't this what it means when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself? Because I'm thinking, if that's my daughter, of course I'm going to help her. Isn't this what it means to love our neighbors as ourselves? And there are a million of these daughters in this country alone who are going through a similar fate. And that is why we're in this fight for freedom and justice. Yes, it is justice. But in reality, this is us loving our one million neighbors as we love ourselves. Amen. And so what I saw in the eyes of these parents on Tuesday is a faith that trusted in our God through the fire of affliction by knowing that God is doing something even though they cannot see it. This trial has refined their faith 
to trust in Jesus, to hope in Jesus, to treasure Jesus above all things. Look at verse 10 again of James 5. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. These prophets endured evil, yes, but they also spoke out against it. We may be called upon to endure great trials and afflictions in our lifetime, but we are also called upon to declare the truth of God's Word in our generation as well, to speak out against the injustices of our day, to give voice to those whose voices have been silenced by oppression and evil, and not just to be the voice of the voiceless, but we are to be the voice of God in this generation to declare that all life is sacred from the womb to the tomb and every stage in between, all of life is sacred, to declare that orphans belong in families and are precious in the sight of God, to declare that the traffic victim is one of the most vulnerable people in all the world, therefore one of the most deeply valuable people to the heart of God, to declare to these one million girls and women forced into sexual slavery in this country of Korea alone that you are beautiful and precious to God. You are not trash. You are not a mistake. You are not dirty. You are God's beloved. And this is the message that only the church can properly declare to bring freedom and healing to these millions in this nation. We need prophetic voices in our generation who will speak out against these evils and to speak truth into this nation, to shatter lies and to set people free. But this prophetic voice can only come out of a heart that has faith in Christ in the midst of suffering and pain. In the midst of evil and injustice. Because if you do not have a faith in a sovereign and good God in the midst of it, when you encounter these evils, when you encounter these perpetrators as I have done, when you encounter these stories of the most satanic and evil things that a human could ever do to another human being, faith in Christ, His sovereignty and goodness is the only way that will keep your heart from getting angry and bitter and evil as well. Those who trust in the Lord to refine us through the fire of affliction as we trust in Him and hope in Him and treasure Him to believe that God has a purpose behind every pain in our lives. To believe that God will never waste a hurt but can use it, redeem it for His glory. Only when we trust Him through these trials will our faith be maintained through the fire of affliction. And there is a third way that we can maintain this faith through our affliction, and that is to trust in the Lord to restore. So everyone repeat, trust in the Lord to restore. Look at verse 11 of James 5. Behold, 
We consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You have heard of the faithfulness of Job, it says, and what did he do in the midst of his suffering and the loss of his loved ones? There are two things that I want to highlight. Number one, he trusted in God through every trial, even though he never knew why all the pain happened. Even though you will never get the question, why? Answered. He trusted God. He was never told that it was Satan that instigated all this pain upon his life. He trusted. And number two, what else did he do? In the fire of affliction, he fell on his knees in worship. Job chapter 1, starting from verse 18, it says, While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their older brother's house, and behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshiped. While he was in the fire of affliction, he poured something into that fire. And do you know what it was? He poured the oil of affection and worship to our God who is a consuming fire. And as he was in the fire of affliction, He poured the oil of gladness and of affection. And that fire raged on around him. But that fire did something as well. And it purified his faith. As it let go of every desire of this temporary world. It let go in his heart to let go of every single thing that is not eternal so that he would hold on to the one that is and that he would love and treasure one thing above everything else in his world. And that is his God, Savior, and Redeemer. When you do not know what to do, you fall on your knees and you worship. Because that is the one thing you know you were always created to do. Verse 11b, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, which can also be translated the end results the ultimate aim, the end purpose of the Lord, and you have seen the end result of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate. And what does that mean? It means to suffer with, that our God, Emmanuel, is not just with us. He is God who is compassionate. He is not just with us. He suffers with us that we will see in the end how our God is compassionate and merciful, that he does not give us according to our sins. He does not punish us as our sins deserve. 
He is merciful. You see, your suffering is never the end of the story. For the believer in Christ, our story will all end in glory at the return of his son. Every season of suffering brings glory to Christ, to the hearts that trust in him through the suffering, and to the heart that treasures him above all other things. Even when your daughter has been abused and trafficked and mutilated. And one day God will restore all the years that have been stolen from us. Joel 2.25, I will restore to you the years, the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. The seasons of waiting, the seasons of wondering, God, do you really care? Are you really listening to my prayers that I've been praying out night and day for years? God will restore. Remember how we talked about earlier that patience is needed when things take longer than we expected? Well, another thing to remember is that while you wait in this waiting season, another thing you need to know about our God is that God never wastes time. Never. God, this is so long. He never wastes time. We do not know when this season will end, but he is never wasting time. He is always at work. And he is always working for the one who trusts in him. He is at work in your heart, waiting for the right time. And when the time is right, he will release and restore his purposes in your life in the end. The pain that you are called to endure today is not the final chapter of your book. In Christ, every story will end in glory. God has a divine purpose for your life. God is at work through all things to accomplish his good purpose in and through your life. The cross transforms the heart that trusts in him. And the cross transforms every moment of your life for the one who trusts in him. He takes evil, uses it for good. He takes sin and turns them into saints. He takes our hell and gives us heaven. Every story will tell of God's redeeming work and bring him glory in the end. Therefore, trust in him. He will return. Trust in him. He is refining you in the fire of affliction. There is purpose behind every pain in your life. His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. His wisdom is higher. So trust in him. He will restore your life. And God will right all wrongs one day. For those who hope in him. Amen. Let's pray. Can we come before the Lord? And if you are in a difficult season of waiting, 
if you are in a difficult season of suffering, if you are in a difficult season of wondering, can you give him your heart, your bitterness, your worries? Can you give that to the Lord today? Say, God, it is hard, but I trust you. It is so hard waiting, but I will trust you. It is so hard wondering if you really care, if you are really there, if you really care, but God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to treasure you more than the thing that I want so desperately in my life. I am going to trust you and treasure you more. give the Lord our heart's desires and concerns right now? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God of compassion and of mercy. And we pray for compassion and mercy for this family right now. That as the Father flies out on Thursday, to literally just walk the streets of California that you would direct his steps. To his beloved daughter. God, wherever she is, we do not know, but you know. Would you release your spirit's power upon her life right now? Would you anoint her head with oil of joy? Purify her mind from all the drugging that the pimps have done. Restore clarity in her thinking and in her body. Heal all the wounds that have happened inside of her. Lord, we plead the blood of Christ upon her body and mind right now in Jesus' name. We pray for mercy. We pray for her freedom. We pray for her finding. We pray for her family reunion. pray for the joy of the Lord to be your strength. And we pray for that same strength and that same joy to be strong within her family's life. And we pray that same prayer of freedom and salvation and healing for the millions of women and girls in this nation who go through the same hell on earth each day. And God, I am so thankful that there is at least one church in this country that is seeking to love our neighbors in the red light districts, in the prisons, that we are seeking to love them as you have loved us. God, I want to pray a prayer of strengthening of faith for all of your children in this place. 
that if they're in a season of waiting, that they would learn to worship as they wait, that they would trust you and treasure you above anything else that their hearts would long for, that it would be you that they love first. May every heart in this room fall in love with you, Jesus, first. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think or imagine, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations and throughout all the nations upon this world. Receive glory forever and ever. Amen.